Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss everything under the sunburst. Next up, private documents, vaccine better days. EMA hit with cyber attack. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 73, recorded on January 25th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Give them a pun for their money, LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad, pun is dead, Anderson. And last but not least, our special guest, Joe, solar blowing in the winds, Slowick. Welcome, Joe, and I'm hurt by your introduction, Chad, I will say. (laughs) Sorry, I just felt like being a little crass. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess I can forgive you because it in itself was a good pun. So it was sort of like masochistic of you to do such a thing. Um, So thanks for taking one for the team in a weird way too, Chad. Um, (laughs) But Joe, we're super excited to have you on today. I know you've been doing a consistent level of writing fantastic blogs on Sunburst. And there's been, of course, a constant stream of information around conversations with SolarWinds and Sunburst. And last week, Microsoft shared details on how the SolarWinds hackers were able to remain undetected by hiding their malicious activity. Um, And then you also provided some insight or recommendations on how organizations can shift their approach from external analysis to internal enrichment. So that's what we're going to cover today, which is everything under the Sunburst. And to kick things off, Uh, There was some information disclosed by a few different Microsoft teams. It definitely looked like a a group effort. And there was experts, there were centers, a lot of folks were involved with this regarding SolarGate and the second stage activation. And they highlighted how SolarWinds evaded detection. So can you talk about some of these tactics they brought to light? Yes, I certainly could. And there's actually quite a few involved. So... From the initial installation of the Sunburst backdoor within the SolarWinds software itself, and I will stress, it is increasingly becoming apparent that this is not just a SolarWinds thing, but a much wider campaign targeting O365 and Azure infrastructure, among other potentially unknown vectors. But after deploying the Sunburst backdoor for SolarWinds, The adversary in this case went to rather extreme or at least certainly very uh, thorough lengths to differentiate between the infection at the SolarWinds Orion server between any subsequent payloads deployed on that device or on other devices. And they did that through, you know, it may sound trite, but, oh, they used cobalt strike loaders. How are they any different from some mid-tier pen testing firm? Well, they are a little bit different because at the very least, what we're seeing is per victim organization, if not per victim client, custom configurations for cobalt strike beacon and even cobalt strike beacon C2 infrastructure which means this adversary was really happy with going the low and slow approach within these environments uh, in order to try to ensure they remained hidden from any analysis or if they got caught 
at a second stage analysis that that couldn't be traced back immediately to the solar winds compromise. Oh, wow. Lots to digest there for sure. And uh, to quickly pivot, another thing that came up in this uh, new new information for Microsoft was about Sunburst's C2 infrastructure. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. And that's really interesting too, especially coming from domain tools where we specialize in C2 infrastructure, that to put it very bluntly, the SolarWinds, Sunburst, whatever C2 infrastructure is kind of a pain in the something in that they have used a combination of relatively newly registered combined with multiple older historical domains um, with tech-like themes hosted on reputable cloud providers, including Microsoft Azure and Amazon AWS, in order to try to beat Various detection mechanisms that we and you know I, I would not recommend moving away from this because it could still be quite valuable, but detection and alerting mechanisms like looking for new domains resolving or looking for domains that are using certain providers that it almost looks like this adversary was anticipating such techniques to try to avoid scrutiny. Ooh, the marks of a potentially sophisticated actor, it seems, which is no shock considering the other news that we've been hearing. Uh, from this particular campaign or supply chain breach. And another thing, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but there's just a lot of ground to cover um, as there continues to be an, an updated and detailed timeline of the attacks or SolarGate, as Microsoft is calling it, was also published. Were there any interesting takeaways or bits of new information you'd want to highlight from that portion of the research? I mean, there are certainly very many items of specific interest, and it's a really good report from the Mystic and the Microsoft Threat Response team. What I would emphasize, though, for practitioners is that based on what Microsoft's reported, which really aligned with what we were already suspecting on this, this is not a indicator-friendly sort of intrusion that just looking for signs of past activity or uh, artifacts related to past known bad activity will not be sufficient to try to either determine if an organization was even targeted for this activity, let alone if that targeting was successful. Instead, what organizations really need to key into, and this applies for both Microsoft's recent reporting as well as reporting from CrowdStrike, from FireEye, from Velexity, uh, and Semantic and Domain Tools and, and others is really tying into the fundamental behaviors and adversary tradecraft used as part of this intrusion because we're seeing things like in-memory beacon uploaders per victim or per host C2 infrastructure that we can't live at an indicator level in order to get ahead of an intrusion of this sort. Wow. And I do want to touch on your recommendations again in just a minute or two, but I just wanted to give you another opportunity. If there was any other final takeaways that you had from the report that you wanted to share with our listeners. Yeah. Uh, these guys are sneaky. Um, you know, sophisticated is a loaded word and I'd like to avoid using it wherever possible, but uh, the adversaries in question here operated or seem to have operated 
very much with an understanding and appreciation of defensive tradecraft and defensive response mechanisms. And as a result, that makes this a exceptionally difficult sort of intrusion to counter because it looks like we had an adversary that was very well aware of or tracking what typical response mechanisms would be. Well said. And I, I know you touched on this a little bit in response to the previous question, but I think it's always very helpful for our listeners, for practitioners out there to just have a set of actionable takeaways, essentially. And really what you touched on in your blog post is what defenders should be doing with this new information, or more so, how can we change our perspective to improve detection? Right. And, you know, it, it pains me to say this, but a lot of this comes back to fundamental security hygiene points, which almost sounds like victim shaming. But I don't think it is because we, the collective we in the IT, let alone security industry, have been skating by with legacy architectures and infrastructure for decades, it, you know, let alone years. And this should be a wake-up call that relatively simple sounding, although admittedly complex to apply security measures such as network segmentation and asset identification can go a long way because while it is justifiably and admittedly correct to say that, oh, a security team can't run down every newly resolved domain, that's very true. But seeing newly resolved domains expressing certain characteristics where the original traffic comes from a administrative LAN or from a critical server like a SolarWinds Orion device should be a very clear signal that something weird is going on and prompt further investigation. And we as defenders need to embrace and take advantage of what are built-in advantages to our perspective and use them to our utmost. Because as we're seeing in this sunburst, solar gate, however you want to phrase it, uh, event, adversaries are going to use whatever advantage they have available. So if we don't take advantage of what we have on our end, uh, it's going to make the security problem that much more difficult to solve. I think that was congruent to the um, halftime coach basketball speech that truly inspired. <laughs> yeah. It's helpful to a helpful reminder um, it's exciting to sort of put a fire beneath all the defenders, all of us again, to to continue to go back to the basics and foundationally, um, like you said, using what we have to our advantage. And before we get into the hoodie ratings, I'd just love to to ask what the impact is overall of this new information that we've received from the folks at Microsoft. I mean, from an impact perspective, we already knew this was problematic. Uh, so in that sense, it's almost like, well, you're just sort of dumping dirt on a corpse at this point and further digging <laughs> into what problems are out there. So if a from a risk equals likelihood times impact perspective, like we already kind of knew what impact would be here. But I think the main takeaway isn't so much in terms of impact, but in terms of likelihood, because... Yes, we can't all divine whether or not we'll be the target of such an organization. But if we are, 
the likelihood that we'd be able to detect or identify this activity until it is quite well advanced or a mistake happens is rather low for most organizations. And we need to do better. Um, this isn't, again, victim shaming, but it is a call to defensive practitioners and organizations that, hey, this is where adversaries are going. If we don't meet them there, we're going to be in a really tough spot for the foreseeable future. Yeah, don't want to be behind the eight ball there. That's for sure. Um, well, thank you for that incredible synthesis, Joe. And I highly recommend that folks do click through and read through all of Joe's blogs. Um, Chad has a great blog too about supply chain attacks in general, but um, there's some great analysis, great summary. Um, just highly recommend clicking through and reading those items. But uh, Chad, I'd love to get your thoughts after hearing Joe here on what you'd rate this from a hoodie perspective. Yeah, you know, when um, the SolarGate thing first came around was certainly a 10 out of 10 hoodies. Um, but as Joe mentioned, you know, we're kind of seeing the, um, not the tail end of this yet, because it seems to keep going, um, or it's a very long tail anyways. Um, but uh, we're kind of aware of a lot of the aspects of this campaign and the, the dangers um, that have been faced, you know. So, you know, I'd probably reduce this to maybe an 8 out of 10 um, rating for me at this point. Um, the reason why I still keep it relatively high, I would say that as Joe touched on, most defensive programs are highly reactive. Um, and that, you know, as, as he also mentioned that just basic um, network hygiene is so huge. And I know from um, many places where I have uh, been in operations and, and defense before that, uh, you know, even just basic network segmentation is not put into place. And, and little things like that um, are, and if, well, if they aren't little, they're actually hard, harder in practice than they sound. But uh, it's the things like that that make it expensive for attackers. And it's all about uh, making it as expensive as possible to move to that next stage where they do have to be more skilled. They do have to be more sophisticated. They do have to think of another way around another corner um, to you know spread laterally or, or whatever is going on. So um, those things go very far. And I think that many organizations, particularly many small to medium-sized businesses as well don't have um, any of that even most basic hygiene in place so um, yeah that's why I'd keep it relatively high what do you think Joe what would you rate this at so I think I, I agree with Chad here that um, this isn't a 10 alarm fire um, but it is still very concerning so 8 out of 10 seems pretty reasonable to me what would bump this higher, in my opinion, and this is still open to revision, is if there were information that tied this activity into something like critical infrastructure penetration or even a preliminary attempt towards something like, like a NotPetya. We're not quite there yet, thankfully. Um, so this isn't something that we should be losing sleep over necessarily, but it is still very concerning. So Eight out of 10 seems pretty reasonable to me. Well said, both of you. Well, Joe, thank you for sharing all your insights on this topic. And we're going to segue into our next article, which is Private Documents, Vaccine Better Days. 
So a cyber attack hit the European Medicines Agency, or EMA, and at the hour of divulgence of the hack, the EMA didn't give technical insights concerning attack nor any information on whether the attack will affect its operations uh, while evaluating and approving COVID-19 vaccines. But of course, they're <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. There was definitely something that happened. So let's let's roll back and begin with the simple question, Chad, of who is this agency, specifically the EMA? Yeah, so EMA stands for the European Medicines Agency. Uh, it's the European's drug regulator um, for all their member states. Uh, so they're the equivalent to the United States um, FDA or Food and Drug Administration in that they approve or deny vaccines. Uh, so they are who all the vaccine manufacturers submitted their confidential approval documents to um, and had been under some scrutiny due to their delay, actually, um, in approving vaccines this last year. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, just interesting all around. I mean, this is all just a shot in the dark, you know? Um, <laughs> I'll yeah. just sit here and wait till you laugh, Chad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have vitamin D in Hawaii. I know you have the inner strength. <laughs> I hear birds chirping. Um, <laughs> And I, I sort of spoiled this a little bit with the intro, but does the EMA have any insights or any sense of the impact of this attack? Yeah, so uh, here's kind of the thing about the documents were purposefully manipulated before they were released. Uh, so the manipulations have made, um, I believe it was Pfizer and the EMA look misleading in their reputability of vaccines uh, or in the reputability of vaccines, I should say. Uh, so the cause here from the attackers is, you know, that they're kind of undermined trust uh, a little bit in the vaccinations. Um, and for from my perspective, you know, it's it's to keep people in the EU in general from trusting in vaccinations as soon as possible. Right. Hmm. This is new, right? We haven't seen this on the Internet yet, have we? Um, there's, I mean, outside of the usual uh, den of anti-vaxxer things um, and, uh, you know, other kinds of armchair research um haven't seen much at least not of you know um it's been a while i should say since i've seen documents from a uh state organization manipulated and released with the purpose of yeah of this yeah so just it, it is interesting i guess yeah and i'm curious is there any other public information on how they discovered this attack so they haven't released anything, um, you know, and it, they did mention that it's just emails that were grabbed with confidential information, which like email is not the greatest way to be sending that. But um, if I had to bet and, you know, how I like to live in this fantasy world where I could go to Vegas and uh, bet on cybersecurity things and uh, make millions and leave this life, uh, I would bet that this was some credential phishing, which led to a compromised account um, that contained all the correspondence and they just dumped the emails from there, if I had to bet. What was that song we always learned growing up where it's like, the hip bone is connected to the da da, uh, clearly it did not resonate with me because I can't remember it, but it's like you're walking through how all your bones are connected. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. My doctor always sings that but I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what's wrong with me. I may... <laughs> I'm not sure if he completed all of this degree. I feel like, though, we could use that for cybersecurity to describe, like, lateral movement and starting from <laughs> a credential and phishing attack like that. Just maybe if we put it in a song, it will resonate. What do you think? Yeah, I actually sing that every uh, trace route that I do um, so that I can sing my way through all the hops on the network. So 
Could you uh, uh, do a little sample of that for Joe no, and I? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I can check off trying to get Chad to sing on my episode to do list. So, just I'm, I'm sorry to interject for a second here. On this EMA intrusion front, it is worth noting that we at Domain Tools, while working with a few partners, had identified a phishing campaign with a likely credential fish angle to it, targeting the European branch of the World Health Organization mm -hmm. uh, in yep in late 2020. And to be completely frank here, I've searched really hard to try to link that campaign to the EMA breach, and there hasn't been anything concrete tying the two together. But what we can look at this as emphasizing is for whatever reason, the European front for COVID response seems to be of interest to at least two threat actors right now with a predilection for registering lookalike domains and potentially phishing operations. So definitely highlighting that this is an area that is of interest and it's not going away anytime soon. 100%. One can only imagine it's going to accelerate as more and more people are going to be allowed into the vaccine process. Well, and that's something that we we discussed a little bit um, earlier today. Uh, you know, we're starting to see on Twitter some reports of people getting um, false vaccine signup domains that are phishing lures. Um, and then those are going to a uh, phishing page that eventually ends up in a payment portal. Um, we've, you know, already seen, um, you know, fake vaccines on the dark web, which are likely all garbage and just someone trying to make money. But, you know, there's everything around this next step in the coronavirus pandemic, um, which is the vaccination step, the approach to the end, you know, I guess, as people are thinking of it is the, um, it's just the next shift in, in lures. Um, you know, we saw it originally with the, with the fear and then the canceling of um, uh, every major world event from the Olympics to whatever, to the PPE shortages to the next. And it's, you know, this is just the latest turn in the dial, right? Yeah, absolutely. And shifting back to, to this, what we know so far, I'm just curious, has the EMA disclosed any kind of statements publicly? Yeah, they have. So they have on their site five rather um, vague blog updates now um, as they discovered more during their investigation. But it, it really just reads with the typical stuff you would expect from these. Um, you know, we're working with law enforcement. We've engaged a third party firm for the investigation. All the stuff you'd expect to read. Do we have I guess you've kind of already touched on what you believe the attackers objectives to be in this case. But is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, you know, as, as Joe mentioned, it is interesting um, that we have actors that are very uh, curious in manipulating the EU um, uh, vaccine response in some ways, or, you know, the, the, the response to the pandemic. Um, so I think we're looking at someone here who, based upon, you know, their release with purposefully modified documents, um, their intent would be to undermine the trust in the vaccine um, for some sort of social reason uh, and to interrupt 
you know, rapid vaccine rollout um, backed by public trust. So, of course, it's really hard to say who's behind this, and I'm not even going to try to go into, um, you know, any sort of attribution there. But in modifying the contents of the documents, it's clear that their objective was to spread disinformation about the vaccines. Yes, indeed. And before we shift into trying to put a pulse on the impact here, I would be curious if you have any, you know, suggestions, top three recommendations to either healthcare or government organizations to combat these types of attacks as, like you said, we enter this next phase with the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. um, So, you know, as we discussed with SolarWinds before, you know, and I've really talked about um, on this podcast many times, um, dedicated patient adversaries uh, will almost always find a way. Um, And in the case of some things, find many vendors to work through on their way there. Um, so the goal here is to make it expensive, uh, as I've talked about before, it needs to be expensive for adversaries. Um, and you know, that's the way that you can be proactive in what you do and the ways that you can be proactive in your defense then is, you know, we're talking in the, in the case of email, uh, like this, you know, multi-factor authentication is one roadblock for, uh, less complicated attackers or less sophisticated attackers rather. Um, and since these were confidential documents, um, I would hope that there was uh, some encryption involved. It sounds like there must not have been. Um, since this is over email, it's really easy to downgrade an email connection over SMTP when they're sending the document, um, you know, and to uh, get something that isn't TLS encrypted. So I would very much so hope that uh, they had encrypted those emails and documents. Um, Sounds like not, though. But again, that would be a no more expensive um, operation for a less sophisticated attacker. Um, and then, you know, lastly, um, in this day and age, uh, you have to be implementing egress filtering um, for any networks, especially if they're handling confidential documents. Um, at some point, this data would have had to have been exfiltrated. Um, that's a requirement for these documents moving anywhere else on the web, right? So um, if that had been filtered, it would have been yet another roadblock um, that would require more sophistication from adversaries. And, and perhaps I should not say sophistication. Joe's uh, very right in um, uh, choosing to use that word very wisely, but uh, more um, uh, more deft um, and agile attackers would be required to um, move things off of the network with egress filtering. That's going to be your band name. Your cybersecurity band name is Deft Punk. Mm, deft, yeah. Deft Punk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, I'd be curious, Joe, to hear how you would rate this on the hoodie scale then after hearing Chad's summary of of this particular article. So, I mean, it's definitely worrying, but on a level of technical, oh, my goodness, and likely impact, because we're talking about leaked documents with some modification to them, like, I'm going to say a 5 out of 10, just out of caution's sake, it it seems like this hasn't really resonated in terms of much impact or significance uh, writ large. So that seems to be where I'm comfortable right now. Split down the middle. Chad, what, what would be missing from a hoodie to make it a five out of 10? This is critical. Um, I mean, that's clearly a, a sleeveless um, crop top hoodie. Um, was the, the five out of ten hoodie, yeah. But the hood would still be on it, though, right? Well, it, that's what makes it a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we gonna get into a hot dog sandwich debate here about hoodies? 
That's concerning. Um, um, <laughs> what know. would you rate this at, Chad? Um, I, you know, I would agree with Joe. It's pretty low impact. I think um, social impact is uh, even low in this case. Like it seems like they were trying to do something, you know, with their with their intent with releasing these modified documents. But um, I also have not seen much social pickup. I would go even lower, I think, with a, a three out of ten. You know, it's just a, a hood with a small gold chain keeping it on. Um, but uh, <laughs> like yeah, maybe maybe if they had <laughs> collected thousands of documents from um, you know a number of organizations and released them in some sort of Corona Gate um, campaign, it would have been that they were all modified or cleverly redacted to um, you know say a certain message. Uh, then it would be more alarming but in this case it seems to have just been like some people grabbed some emails they slightly modified them and dumped them on the internet and everyone went okay oh boy also i'm waiting this gate thing's gotten a little out of control right as adding it as a suffix for everything i'm waiting for like a massive gate manufacturer to be breached because then it's going to be like custom iron gates gate yeah. What well, will we do then? I'm really hoping the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gets popped again and it says something huge so it can be Gatesgate. <laughs> that seems more reasonable than my situation. I'll give you that. <laughs> seems <Yeah>. more likely. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thank you, thank you both very much for your insights. And let's end our episode here with our classic game, Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm up this week. I'm going to be sharing three article titles, two of which are true. One is lie, and of course there's a point system. Joe is uh, filling in for Tim, so Tim's points or lack of points are on the line here. Um, are you two ready? Bring it on. Guess so. <laughs> Tim Helming, listen to that confidence when you're when you're going through this episode. You'll feel good about what's coming next. <laughs> Alrighty, here's our first article. Breaches remain in fashion. Bonobo's retail chain suffers massive data breach exposing 70 gigabytes. Next up, ask Jeeves for exposed stolen corporate credentials. Search engine exposes PII. And finally, malware bites the dust. Another vendor hit by SolarWinds attackers. Any initial thoughts, you two? I just want to know why if Bonobo, as a clothing company, is storing user data they have 70 gigabytes worth that's, that's what they thank- line their coats with <laughs> thank you i was wondering the same thing there's <laughs> <laughs> so much data Did, does everyone buy things at bonobos and and maybe i just i you know i uh i don't have the figure for it so i, I never have <laughs> oh bonobos would be lucky to have you to wear their clothing chad <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Um, that's a great question. So for what it's worth, based on that, like I'm going lie on the Bonobos thing, but the other two sound quite plausible to me, but that's just me spitballing here. And, you know, Tim gets to take the heat for my errant ways. I am also going to lean into Bonobos because I use Ask Jeeves all the time to acquire PAI. So. <laughs> It's my preferred search engine when all the this is down, so. <laughs> oh, too good. We I know we've talked about text to cha cha before. The the pre um iPhone days where you would text 
a person to ask Jeeves a question, which would then text <laughs> you back. Um, <laughs> well, um, unfortunately for both of you, Bonobos actually was breached, exposing oh, 70 gigabytes. That was 70 true. 70 gigs of user data for, uh, okay. Yeah. Right? yeah. Whatever. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Google actually, there was some um, data exposed and simple Google searches. Um, emails specifically for corporate credentials, disturbingly. So a, a, a slightly larger search engine. Oh, I thought the say. question was just search engines in general because Ask Jeeves hasn't existed in like 10 plus years. Oh, really? Jeeves is oh. gone? What? Who will I ask things about? And right now I'm just typing in social security number in colon XLS uh, <laughs> into Google and seeing what I get back. So this should be good. <laughs> well, I hear if you just type in every combination of three numbers, dash two numbers, dash four numbers, you get banned from Twitter. But that's <laughs> just what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Start with posting your own. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh my uh, speaking of sad things uh, which have gone the way of the dodo, um, you know, uh, <laughs> today Olympia Beer announced that they will no longer, just to you know, bring this to the Pacific Northwest region for us all, Olympia Beer uh, will no longer be manufacturing beer. So it, it is no longer in the water. What? That's really sad. Yeah. So get to your store, uh, you know, find your last tall can of Olympia. And uh, say goodbye. Wow. I mean, it's not good beer, but it does have regional significance. So that's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Lone Star. I'd be sad if Lone Star went away, you know, in the in the north or or uh, Grain Belt. That would yeah, Genesee. Yeah, <laughs> old style. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, like that. old style. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I think we're gonna have to wrap up this episode. I have uh, I have some beer to pick up to drown my sorrows in mm-hmm. when I cannot anymore henceforth drink Olympia beer. <laughs> oh my. Well, Hey Joe, special thanks to you for guesting this week. Thanks for coming on and talking about all the research and analysis you've been doing. Chad per usual. Thanks for uh, groaning at my puns and sticking with mm. it as painful as it is for you. Oh, and you're insightful too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well we'll see you next week on episode 74 of breaking badness thank you all remember don't drink and click and we'll see you next time that's about all we have for this week you can find us on twitter at domain tools all of the articles and iocs mentioned today will be included in our blog post which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts catch us every wednesday at 9 a.m pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.